Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. I know it's been a while since I've published an episode but there's been a lot going on in the world and I've just needed to take some time out to digest and prepare for this next round of lockdown. I'd also like to extend so much love and compassion to all of you who are also currently in lockdown in Victoria. This time is just so, so hard in so many ways and I'm really thinking of all of you and hoping that you're reaching out and finding the support that you need. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Zoe about the births of her two sons, Gordy and Finley. Gordy was born in hospital where Zoe, who's a nurse herself, was confident and comfortable to advocate for herself and the birth that she wanted. But then as time passed, her perception of her birth and the interventions that happened did change and she started to consider and do research for a home birth for the next time around. Finley's birth was quick and Zoe was beautifully supported at home by her birth team made up of friends and family. Zoe and I both have negative blood groups, so we discussed the recommended anti-D shots which are administered during pregnancy and post-birth, and Zoe references some alternative resources regarding the risks and benefits of receiving anti-D. I've included a list of those references in the show notes, but I just wanted to remind those who are listening that the personal opinions voiced on the show, including mine, shouldn't be taken as medical advice. If you have questions or concerns regarding anti-D, you should discuss these with your GP or maternity care provider. And with that being said, I'll let Zoe share her story. Hi Zoe, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? Good, thank you for having me. (laughs) So did you want to start by telling um, us a little bit about your family and yourself and yeah, maybe whereabouts you're living and whether you're working? Yeah, Um, so I am living in Wollongong, which is about um, an hour south of Sydney. Um, it's very beautiful little spots just between the, um, the escarpment and the mountains and the water. Um, and I live here with my husband, Sam, and our two little boys who are um, Gordy's three and a half and then Finley is nearly seven months. Um, beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm on maternity leave, but I usually work um, as a registered nurse in our big kind of public hospital here. So um, I work all around in in the hospital there, but currently on a break. A baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. And yeah, just going back to Gordy's birth, um, did you guys plan to start a family or how did he come about? Yeah, so we had, I think when we got together, we had both um, wanted to have kids kind of quite young. Um, we were in our kind of like mid-20s when we met um, and so we kind of wanted to have kids um, and we were planning on um, kind of trying for a baby after our wedding um, and I was actually quite early pregnant at our wedding um, so it was planned but we like I fell pregnant pretty quickly and then yeah so we were yeah, we were just excited and kind of thought, oh, it's all happening pretty easily. Yeah, so that was, it was planned, but we kind of were just like, oh, that would be a nice idea. <laughs> Let's have kids. <laughs> and did you know at the wedding that you were pregnant? I suspected um, because I felt a little bit upset in my stomach and I usually am not someone who has nausea. Um, and then 
I was like, oh, okay, maybe something's going on. And then we went, we were in New Zealand for our holiday. And when we were flying back, so kind of two weeks, three weeks later, I felt really sick on the plane. Oh, maybe it's the plane food, maybe it's the sitting you know, in a plane and then I took a pregnancy test when I got home. I would have been quite early on at the wedding, I think. Yeah, lovely. And that's Finley there in the background, is it? Yes, yes. <laughs> Beautiful. Lovely. So, yeah, you mentioned that you started to feel sick pretty early on. Did that carry through for the rest of your pregnancy or how were you feeling? I, it, not, not, thankfully not very long. Um, I had a pretty textbook pregnancy. Really. I was only sick till like 12 weeks or 10 weeks or something. Um, and it was never like, it wasn't very bad. It was just the kind of normal pregnancy nausea, I think. Um, and then I felt pretty well most of the pregnancy. Um, I kept working up until about 35 or 36 weeks. I was working full time then. Didn't have kids, so it was not, not as hard. Um, but yeah, I felt pretty well. I had a few um, kind of like hip pain and pelvic pain and a bit of that. But overall, I felt really well. Um, and I did, it, I was, he was born in January, so I did lots of swimming kind of at the end of my pregnancy. And that was really lovely, um, doing lap swimming and going to the beach. It was really nice um, in that big late pregnant stage. It's really nice to just float. But, yeah, I, was, I felt pretty well the whole time, really. And so... Yeah, did you have any idea before you fell pregnant what sort of model of care you wanted to go for or how did you come about sort of choosing where you were going to give birth and who was going to support you? Yeah, we, we don't have heaps of options here. So we're a pretty big regional city but we don't have a lot of options. So we have a, um, a public and a private hospital and I knew working in the public health system I was always going to go in the public system. Um, we have a like a midwifery group caseload program here, which I'd heard really good things about, but it's very restricted. Um, so most women who apply for it don't get in, unfortunately. I think that's the case in a lot of places in the country. And so I wanted to get into that, um, but I knew that chances are I probably wouldn't. Women often say they have to kind of basically pee on a stick and call them because the places are so restricted. And I didn't know I was pregnant like super early. Um, so I didn't get into that. Um, and I found that out. I think they contacted you at like 12 weeks or something saying you haven't gotten in. So I thought, well, okay, I guess my other option is the just the midwifery care at the public hospital. And I knew that we had home birth midwives. So our, one of the home birth midwives here is also a lactation consultant. And I kind of had her on my radar um, because I had friends that had seen her. I kind of knew about home birth um, and I was born at home so I kind of knew about it um, but I, I think I just had a lot of kind of uncertainty about what that looked like and a bit of probably stigma about what women who have home births are like um, and maybe a little bit of rebelling against what my mum had done with me um, and so I thought oh look I wouldn't do it the first time around all those kind of things that I'm sure we've all heard having had home births um, and yeah, I just, I think I wanted a bit of security um, being in a hospital just in case something went wrong, which I now know is not really security. Um, but yeah, at the time, I think I just thought I'll do what was the easiest. And I don't think I wanted to rock the boat as much then by choosing a home birth. Um, and there was a lot of stuff going on in our family at the time as well. So it, 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 there wasn't really the space, um, like extended family stuff, there wasn't really the space to do that. Um, so yeah, I chose the um, like midwifery care through the hospital and I actually 
chance, John, with the rule letter, whoever you get out of my initial appointment, I had a, a really lovely midwife who said, oh, you live north of the city. I run a clinic in one of the northern suburbs. It's a little outreach clinic that she runs every week. So she, I could see her every, every appointment. Um, so that was really lovely because I booked in my appointments with her and ended up um, seeing her every, um, every appointment in my pregnancy except one. I think she was on, on holidays. Um, and she was really, really lovely. Um, she told me about a few really good books. She recommended um, Juju Sundan birth skills, which I found really helpful. And she told me about um, a few other, what did she mention? I think she mentioned Ina May, like a few good, really good resources. Um, and because she got to know us, she kind of knew what, what I would, what resources I would find helpful. Um, and she kind of told me, you know, look, we recommend this scan, but you don't have to do it. And look, we recommend that you get this swab, but you don't have to do it. Like, I'm not going to know if you choose not to. And anyway, that was really, really good. Um, and I think in my last appointment when I went to see her, um, she kind of shielded me from a lot of the medical stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, my last appointment, I was, I was in my 39th week and she said, look, you know, we need to book a 40-week appointment. Um, let's book it when you're nearly 41 weeks so you've got as much chance as possible. Um, that was with the hospital, that appointment. She said, look, let's book it at almost 41 weeks so you've got the most chance to have the baby um, because, you know, I think those appointments are often pretty, pretty yuck. Um, and so she also said, you know, you can, you can refuse anything. Like, don't forget, you know, you can say no to things. You don't have to agree just because things are offered. Like, you know what the evidence for in, in, interventions are. Um, so that was, yeah, I was very grateful that we crossed paths because she was a um, really, really wonderful midwife. That sounds amazing. It sounds almost like private midwifery care. Yeah, yeah, she was beautiful. Um, I don't think she works in the hospital system anymore, which I think it's sometimes hard to stay in that system if you're like that. Um, mm. But she really, I think, protected. I've, I've talked to friends since who've birthed at the same hospital and really got a really terrible runaround from the medical staff and really pressured into a lot of things. So I think she really protected us um, from a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, I was, yeah, it was lovely. Um, and I was quite hopeful about the hospital system. I was like, oh, she's so good. Maybe everyone's like this. Maybe this is what the system's like now. So, yeah, it was, it was yeah, yeah. She, she cared for us very well. And did you make it to that sort of almost 41-week appointment? No, no. So at um, I've just got some notes just to remind myself of the dates. Um, so it was 30, I was 39, 39 and 4, 39 and 5, and I kind of thought I was in kind of early labour. And I think being the first time, you don't really know what that's like. Um, and so I, I had an appointment with her that week when I was 39 weeks, and I, I kind of thought... I'm having a few kind of um, mild contractions and are not really painful. And she said, oh, look, you, you probably are in early labour. You could have the baby tonight. You could have the baby in two weeks. Like this could keep going for a long time. There's kind of no way for us to tell. So I was like, oh, okay, like hopefully something will happen. Um, and then at um, – so I was on the Wednesday, so I was 39 weeks and five days. I woke up to go to the toilet, as you do a thousand times, um, and my waters had broken. So I think at the time I thought it was a lot, but I think in hindsight it was only a small amount, really. Um, so I was very excited. So I went, you know, I think I got in the shower and cleaned myself up. And I don't think I actually told my husband for a, an hour or so just to kind of see what happened. Were you um, having 
sorry, were you having any contractions at all at that point? Not, not really. I kind of thought it was some kind of niggles, but not really anything kind of substantial. And no one had kind of talked to us because I think most women, their labour doesn't start with their waters breaking. Like it's not a common thing. So I think the hospital had never said anything or the midwife had never said anything about kind of what to do if that happens. Um, and I kind of didn't know that you can just leave that and just wait. Um, so I, we called the hospital, I think, at three or four just to ask, just to let them know. Um, and they said, oh, and we just kind of thought they'd say, oh, okay, like we'll see you in a day if nothing, you know, just, yeah, okay, good to know. Um, and the midwife said, oh, you need to come in and we need to confirm that it was your waters breaking, um, <laughs> which was a bit of a thing in my whole experience that they just didn't believe what was actually happening. Um, so we went in at like 3.30 or 4 um, and then we did a scan, did a CQG, it was fine, she confirmed it was my waters. Um, she basically said, we'll make you an appointment like that afternoon in the clinic um, just to see what's happening but just go home and come back. So that was, we were like, okay, so we went home. Um, and there was kind of some talk about possibly having more intervention on the Thursday, which I just ignored because I was like, I'm not doing that, that's not not needed. Um, so we came home and then um, that whole day I was just kind of in early labour, it was really hot, um, so it was January, so it was, it was quite hard just to rest because it was so hot. I think we watched some movies and kind of made the house dark and cool and just continued on. Um, and then I think in the afternoon when it was meant to be my appointment, I called the hospital and said, look, I don't really want to come into the clinic for an appointment because I'm, I feel quite uncomfortable. Um, and then they said, okay, well, you can come up to the birthing unit just for a checkup. So we're like, okay, okay, we'll go up there. Um, and they, when we got there, it was incredibly busy and they hadn't told us that there was no space even in an assessment room to be seen. So we, we were sitting in a waiting room. And if they told us this, we would have just stayed home um, because it was just that they wanted to see me kind of 12 hours later. Um, and so finally we were like, okay, well, we'll just wait. And then we got in to one of the rooms and the midwife, um, I think, assumed or had it been booked that I was there to be induced. And so she started wanting to put a cannula in and I said, oh, no, 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 I'm just here for a checkup. I'm not, I'm not here for anything else. I'm, I'm fine. Um, so that was kind of not really discussed with me that that was going to be offered. So they sent the doctor in and she said, oh, look, you know, you're welcome to go home again. Like, if you stay here and you don't really feel like you need to, then, you know, we'll probably just interfere more. So just go home if you don't want this. So, and we were all fine. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll just go home. Um, so then we went home again. Um, and then I was still, I was using a lot of the techniques in birth skills by Juju Sundin, which I found helpful um, having a hospital birth with kind of assuming there'd be more interference, especially like even different people in the room and stuff. So I did like a lot of vocalising and breathing and I was like, had a little like stress ball that I was squeezing and all that stuff and I had a bath at home and was in the shower for a while. Um, so I probably didn't really get much sleep. Um, and then at about maybe 3 a.m. I think that morning, so Thursday morning, um, we decided to go into the hospital about 2 a.m. Um, because our hot water had run out. 
So we were like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, we were timing contractions, which I didn't really find helpful and I didn't do the second time, but um, they kind of say when they're a certain amount of time apart going to hospital. They were three minutes apart and lasting for like 45 seconds or something. So I thought, okay, we'll go into hospital. And we were only about 10 minutes away um, from hospital, but also because um, we both work at the hospital, I didn't want to be going in at a, like a busy time in the day when it's like shift, because there's one entrance, so you don't want to be walking in when it's shift changeover and there's all these people. So we're like, oh, perfect, we'll go in at, you know, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. when no one's there, the car park's empty. Mm. So we um, we went in and then I was very clear again that I didn't want any intervention, like I didn't want to be induced or anything else. If we were both, well, I only to do a very short CTG at the start. So I said, look, I'm not I'm not going to lie down for more than kind of five or ten minutes. So if you can't get what you've got by then, then you can use a doctor. Well, like I'm not lying on a bed. Um, so basically I said, look, I, yeah, I don't really want any intervention. Um, and the midwife we had overnight was, look, she wasn't great. We didn't really get on with her. And she said, look, we don't usually do any interventions overnight because there's not like unless we have to because there's not as many staff. So if something does happen then, you know, we'd wait till the morning anyway. And I was like, yep, that's fine. I don't want a bunch of tired people making decisions like that. Um, so she, yeah, she kind of left us alone, which was good. Um, it, yeah, it was good in a way. It was it was hard because I think being, being like the first time in labour, I didn't really um, kind of know what to expect and know what, kind of what happened and how much they should be looking after you. And I think the the birthing unit was really busy. Um, so there were probably women who kind of were needing more support or needing more help. Um, so we kind of just did our thing and I got in the bath. Um, There's only one bath in our birthing unit and I got that room in the bath. Um, so, yeah, we did that for a while. The doctor on shift at some stage came in and was very unhappy that I'd refused an intervention. Um, and tried some kind of fear-mongering <laughs> tactics, which we just said, look, we don't really want him in the room anymore. We'll let you know if we want anything else. Um, so, yeah, we were – I think I tried some gas as well, which I didn't find helpful because it was just really – made me feel quite sick. So I was um, still using a lot of, like, breathing and vocalising techniques with kind of each contraction. Um, um, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I'm just – um, I'm just curious. It sounds like you were having to advocate for yourself quite a lot while you were in there. How did you yeah. find that, I mean, just maintaining kind of the space of mind? How were you feeling and how was it having to kind of come out of your birth zone to advocate for yourself? Or was your yeah. husband sort of doing that on your behalf? He was doing it as well. So he was really good. And I think us both working in the system, we were quite confident about what we could and couldn't refuse. It was really hard. And I feel like I didn't. I didn't really ever drop in to that zone because I wasn't able to because I was constantly knowing and I didn't tr particularly, I didn't really trust um, the care providers because I didn't feel like they had the same view of birth as me. Um, but I don't feel like I really dropped into my body and got into that zone at all. Um, mm -hmm. And I think there were some points of why things are progressing quite slowly coming up and it's no wonder really because especially if it's your first time, you know, women often, you know, I think I went into hospital probably a bit early, um, but you, you don't know. And I think, you know, you don't kind of know how quickly things normally happen or what things look like the first time you have a baby. So I just, yeah, I couldn't trust 
the energy and I didn't know what they, people were going to be like coming in the room. So I couldn't really just relax and be in labour. Um, and all those different energies and different suggestions and things and all that stuff was really difficult. Yeah, um, and I think I didn't anticipate or I wasn't aware of how much all that stuff has an impact on the progression of labour. I just didn't know about it. Yeah, I've since read um, Sarah Buckley's book. She goes really in depth about hormonal, the hormonal cascade in labour and how that's impacted by lights and talking and people you don't know. And it, it's really quite a kind of shy process at the start, that, um, that going into labour. So, yeah, I, I was... Yeah, and just the clinical hospital rooms are not conducive for physiological birth at all. I think women that manage in a hospital are just incredible because it's so difficult in that clinical environment to feel to feel safe, I think. Even I intellectually thought, oh, I'm safe in a hospital, but I think on a, my body knew that it wasn't a safe environment. So. And then, yeah, going on from there, how, does, how did you sort of progress and at what point? Did you feel did you feel like you were ready to push or yeah, yeah. how did things play out? Yeah, so it was about probably I think four a.m. Um, I was in the bath and I was starting to feel like quite overwhelmed. Um, and I think the midwife wanted to do an internal exam um, because I think we both suspected that my waters had broken, but not completely. Um, and so she did an internal exam. I think I was six. That was I think the first one I'd had. That I was six centimetres. Um, and then she said, look, I can feel there's like your waters are bulging, like the front of them. So it was probably a hind water leak that had broken. It was like the bulk of the water was there. And she said, look, if I break your waters, um, they're right there. That might help kind of progress things. So I agreed to that. And I think it was pretty easy. I don't think she even really needed the hook they used. It was just their waters were right there. Um, mm. And then I felt like things really ramped up. So I felt kind of much more, oh, okay, oh. yeah, I'm definitely in labour. So I was, yeah, up, swaying, like a bleeding across the bed, I was in the shower, I was kind of had a little circuit going. They're quite big rooms, so I had a little circuit. And I think then, um, I think she did another examination at 5.30 or 6 and I was 8 centimetres. Um, and that's when I was coming to that point of like, I don't know what to do, like should I, should I have an epidural? Should, like I didn't really, I was kind of getting a bit, so probably close to a transition. Mm. So we can get one if you want. And I was like, oh, it's very helpful. Like I think every woman goes through that stage in, in labour and you don't really want someone to say, well, you can have an epidural if you want. They kind of can say, look, you're nearly there. The baby's probably coming soon. You need that encouragement. So I think, yeah, so then soon after that I had a really intense urge to push, like really overwhelming urge to push. And my husband called the midwife in and said, look, do you should she just push like what you know because we didn't really I think I had a bit of a linear view of all oh, you dilate one centimeter an hour and it hasn't been long enough and the midwife said oh look probably not till 7.30 because you're not you wouldn't be fully dilated now so I was like oh okay I really feel like I need to push but okay the midwife must know um and then in hindsight I've realized that 7.30 is a new a new shift for the midwives who come on so I wonder if she was just like, oh, look, just hold off till then because they have to be in the room with you all the time in that pushing state. So I wonder if there was a bit of like, oh, yeah, 7.30 because that way I'll be home and it'll be someone else's problem. So <laughs> that was like a realisation that I came to later and you know, having done night shift myself, you probably don't want to be doing that at the very end of your shift, like not the headspace you wanted to be in. Um, so I was like, okay, I, I, guess, I guess it's not time. Um, and then... That was really challenging trying not to push when I really felt like I needed to and I think 
in hindsight, I would have just done it anyway, and he probably would have been born. Um, but then the second, uh, the shift changed, and a new midwife came on it. Um, you know, we saw the sun come up, and I'm like, oh, the midwife will be here soon, and it'll be like a new experience, and it'll be so lovely. And the new midwife came on, and she was lovely. So the energy completely changed. She was really supportive, got my husband some food, got me some food, like really kind of said, oh, look, you know, your baby's nearly here. Like, if you need to push, just push. It's fine. Just do it. I think by then I was um, really tired. So I'd kind of fought that urge for so long. When I then had permission, I just that urge had gone. Um, so I think the new midwife did another check and I was 10 centimetres. Um, and they put like a wireless monitor on because there's a little bit of meconium, which I think is normal, like if, you know, to an extent, if there's a little bit and the baby's happy and everyone else is happy, um, that's fine. But I also had antibiotics at some stage um, because my waters had been broken for over 24 hours. They starting to get a bit unhappy, so I agreed to have antibiotics. Um, yeah, so it was like coming up to, I think I'd had 90, 90 minutes of pushing and it never really felt hugely productive. Um, and then the kind of doctors start to hover around and they start to kind of mention, you know, hovering, hovering. So I, um, I, I think she said, look, if we get to two hours, I'd like the doctor to kind of come and have a look. So I, I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. So the doctor came in. Um, and I think I had said, and by this point I was on my back, so it's not particularly easy to push when you're on your back. Um, and the um, doctor said, look, we can try um, for a va like vacuum assistance delivery. And I remember saying, like, okay, well, I'm not having forceps. So if that doesn't work, we can, like, reconsider our options um, because I had heard kind of some not very nice stories about forceps birth and I knew like his head was was right there so it wasn't like you know we, he was very high up um so then I um yeah I just found it like quite difficult because the contractions were just like constant and I was really kind of very exhausted from the whole thing um so I ended up um consenting to a vacuum and that doctor like to his credit was um, very respectful. He very clearly, like, he said, look, he's in an emergency. We're not, you know, like, we can discuss the options. He was, well, it's what they're supposed to do, really, isn't it? They're supposed to do that anyway, so it shouldn't be hugely praised. But um, he was, yeah, he was he was good. Um, the other doctors we came across at the time wasn't, but he was, he was fine. Yeah, so I agreed to have a vacuum assistance um, and they, it was just kind of with each contraction, they just kind of helped the baby out. So I think it was two contractions um, and they, I think they like to do an episiotomy kind of as a protocol with it and I didn't realise that they don't always have to do that because um, I've since heard of women who've had assisted births without an episiotomy, but they said, look, you need to so I said, okay, okay. Um, and they, because I think most women have epidurals, they had to give me local because um, the midwife was like, she doesn't have an epidural. And they were like, oh, okay, because they usually just are so used to women having a lot more intervention. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, I think, two kind of assisted pushes and he was born at 10 in the morning. Um, so kind of quite a long, the final process was quite long. Mm -hmm. um, and he was quite a big baby, so he was um, 
he was nearly he was 4.2 kilos um and his head was pretty big so i was like, oh wow he's a little kid baby and then um he was fine so he came out screaming and very alert um and there was a um they had to have a pediatrician in the room just because he um the waters had been broken for more than whatever their number is um so she wanted to look at him but we had um kind of i think 20 15 20 minutes of him just like on my chest with without the cord being um cut so we had that delayed cord clamping and then i think after that the doctor wanted to look over him um and i when he was born they kind of i think because they were a bit keen to get him out um I think they kind of pulled on the cord a bit, so my placenta was kind of born quite quickly as well. Um, so I had a bit of a, a bleed. So it wasn't a, it was just a kind of smallish, um, smallish postpartum hemorrhage. Um, so I had the medication with that. Um, but yeah, we basically had skin to skin. They stitched me up. He was kind of trying to breastfeed. Didn't really do much, but kind of nuzzling around and. Um, yeah, it was just on my chest and then all the medical people cleared out and kind of some beautiful time just hugging and the midwife you know, getting us food and tidying everything up. And um, after probably an hour or so, I went in and kind of cleaned myself up, like had a bit of a wash in the shower. And um, we were going to be able to stay in the birthing um, suite, but then they were really busy, so we had to move over to the postnatal ward. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And how were you feeling initially after the birth? Were you just really exhausted or did you feel like you experienced that kind of oxytocin high after the yeah, birth? Yeah, I think so. And I remember feeling, because I didn't really have any um, any kind of medication, I felt, um, yeah, I felt like I was I think, quite um, proud of myself that I'd done it and that I didn't have, you know, a lot, heaps and heaps of intervention and I was, you know, um, in the hospital system still managed to have a birth like that. And I remember in the afternoon we were just um, like lying in the room, kind of in the postnatal ward, just like skin to skin. And he was just, um, yeah, just, you know, getting to know him. And it was really beautiful. And we were just like in a line there. And the sun was coming in the wind. We had a little window bed and the sun was coming in. And I kind of just leave you alone, I think, the first kind of day after. That was lovely. And, yeah, that, it was beautiful. Um we just rested and you were in hospital for two nights. So um, we wanted to go. We had wanted to go home the same day, but because um, I'd had a bit of a hemorrhage and he, they wanted to watch him just because the water, my waters had been broken for a little while. So they wanted to just keep an eye on him for the first couple of days. Yeah. So the, yeah, mm. the hospital stay was fine. Um, yeah, it was busy once again. So we were just kind of left on our own a bit, but that was, yeah, that was fine. We were pretty confident. I'd done a bit of, um, education about breastfeeding, so I was pretty kind of confident with with that. So we were quite happy to go home as soon as we could. How was your adjustment to parenting during the first few months with him? It was pretty. It was pretty lovely, really. Um, we had a few initial little breastfeeding attachment issues. I think yeah, it's pretty common. Um, but by about four weeks, we sorted everything out, and he was gaining weight really well and doing really well. Um, and I had. I joined a mum's group, which was lovely, and went to ABA meetings and met a few really um, kind of lifelong friends from that. Um, so meeting, I think, like-minded women was really important. Um, there's lots of kind of young families in our area, so 
there's lots of opportunities to meet people if you get out there. Um, and yeah, after that birth, I guess, how had your anticipation or feelings about birth changed or did you have any ideas of how you'd like to do things differently for another pregnancy? Yeah, I think it took me a while to kind of process. I think afterwards I thought, oh, isn't that great? Like, you know, these things just happen in birth and the hospital did a good job in, you know, in making sure nothing bad happened. And it was kind of talking to women who'd had home births and another friend who'd had quite a similar hospital experience who now um, is a doula and is planning her own home birth, which is exciting soon. Mm -hmm. um, but talking to other people and just kind of thinking like, I think the big thing for me was was realising that a lot of intervention in birth happens because of what the medical system, because of how births interfered with. So when I realised that, I was like, hang on, so all these women that have complications in hospital, a lot of the time, if they weren't induced or didn't have this happen, they wouldn't have had a complication. And that was really mind-blowing for me to think, oh, okay. So yes, obviously sometimes things happen, but mostly if women are left alone, it just happens. Um, so that was a really big game changer and just thinking and kind of acknowledging that, you know, some of the intervention that happened probably wasn't necessary. And I think especially if I'd been trusted in what my body was telling me to do, it would have been fine. So unlearning that and kind of processing that and thinking, you know, maybe the hospital didn't save me from all these things was a big um, process. And just learning more about home birth. So I think there were some studies that came out um, in between about, you know, the safety of home birth and that, well, the danger of hospital birth, you know, that how good the stats were and how, how low the interventions were. And that was really like, okay, yeah, okay. So when women do this, it's, it's really safe. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of got in my head. I remember I met my, who was the woman who ended up being my midwife at a, like a charity kind of, um, function day thing in our area and I was talking to her and she said oh maybe I'll see you and you have another baby and I was like oh yeah maybe like probably won't and then you know, two or three years later I was like hello mm -hmm. <laughs> my midwife so just being more in that world I think and in the breastfeeding yeah. world and knowing more women and yeah having more friends with babies yeah so going on from there did you and Sam yeah when did you feel ready to grow your family or how did how did your next pregnancy come about um, I think it was, my son was two, Gordy was two, um, so we had kind of, I, I didn't really feel ready for quite a while and we didn't want kids particularly close together. We, I was 26 when I had him, so we thought, oh, we've got, we've got heaps of time. It wasn't difficult for us to fall pregnant, so I thought, don't need to worry about, you know, having a baby really close together. And I was enjoying, I wanted to spend a bit of time back at work and um, I did a, a certificate in breastfeeding like education with the ABA. So I wanted to do that and just kind of do a few things. Um, so he was pretty much two. Um, so we thought, okay, let's just let's just see. Um, and I fell pregnant pretty quickly then. Um, and I found out around his second birthday, actually, in January. Um, and I ended up um, having a miscarriage with that baby. Um, around six or seven weeks and I was really I really didn't expect I mean I know that it's common but I really was like okay I never expected that would happen I think because we'd had such an easy time falling pregnant and, and being pregnant I thought oh that wouldn't happen so that was really um, really kind of floored me I think and that was um, yeah I was still I remember talking to my friend and I was still saying 
oh, look, maybe I'll, I'll just go with the midwife group program again or maybe I'll just, you know, go with my GP because I do, I really think other women, you know, other women can have a home birth. I don't know if I'm going to do it. And I was still really kind of rationalising, you know, going back into the system. And um, when I went, so I went into hospital um, when I was having bleeding because I have a negative blood group and so I, I wanted to get... Um, they're like anti-D injections. If you have a negative blood group and the baby doesn't, you can have issues down the line. So I thought, I'll go to hospital and I'll, I'll have that. And then that whole experience of being in hospital during that process, which I view as a physiological process, which doesn't need intervention, was really eye-opening. Um, because I said, look, I just want to be at home. Like, I don't want to have an ultrasound. I don't want to have a blood test. I don't want to have all this. I just want to be at home. Like, I know what's happening. I don't want external validation of what's happening I'm happy just to go home I know when to come in if I need to and they were really supportive of that but I think just basically going home knowing knowing trusting that my body knew what to do and knowing that you know assistance was there if I desired it um, and I just basically spent two weeks or one week or two weeks at home in bed and just let the whole process happen um, and that was really 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 pivotal for me in choosing to birth at home the next time and I think if um, that pregnancy had gone to term I probably wouldn't have had a home birth because I was still thinking oh I can do it in hospital that's fine I've had a baby already I'll be able to you know argue with the intervention and I was like hey I can just be out of the system completely I don't have to be in it at all um, so that that was really um, really yeah I'm kind of in a strange way like quite grateful for that that process happening because it kind of showed me that I can just opt out of the system and that's fine. I don't have to justify to myself what I'm doing. I can just trust my intuition that this is the right thing to do. Um, yeah, so mm. that was really a very important thing to just kind of process and then I fell pregnant again a couple of months after that um, and I was like, yeah, I'm having a home birth, that's it. I'm not even engaging with the system at all. I knew straight away that I was not going into the, the system. Yeah. How did you feel emotionally after you lost that pregnancy? Do you feel like you were just in a rush to fall pregnant again straight away or did you take it, need to take a bit of time? Um, not, I, I kind of would have, I think, liked to have waited a bit longer and I think I waited, I had like one cycle after. Um, and, yeah, I think Finley just really wanted to come into the world because I, I, I kind of wanted, I thought, look, we'll have at least three to four years between our kids and it kind of all happened quite quickly but I really allowed that grieving process to happen um, at the time so I yeah I took time off work and I didn't I didn't want to rush into having any like surgical intervention because I wanted to just allow the process to happen so that really helped me then be ready afterwards because um, I really just felt that grief um, at the time mm. yeah. Um, yeah so I think yeah, I thought, oh, okay, we'll just, okay, I guess. Like, I wasn't kind of trying to have another baby really quickly, but it, yeah, it just kind of happened that way. And I was like, okay, here he is, sure, we're doing this. And um, I wouldn't mind, Zoe, just going back a little bit, just yeah. to explain to the listeners a little bit about the negative blood group that yeah. you have. Did you, yeah. uh, you're a nurse, maybe you can give a better explanation yeah, of oh, what that is for me. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm a negative blood group as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, Rhesus antibodies or whatever. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a mindset. I've sensed on a lot more research on it, but my, my basic understanding is that when 
um, women have a negative blood group, which is only like 10 to 15% of the whole population. Um, the, the theoretical risk is that if you have a, a baby um, with someone with a positive blood group, um, the baby, if the baby has a positive blood group, um, then potentially um, in the process of birth, or sometimes during pregnancy, um, if there's a mixing of your blood and the baby's blood, which doesn't happen very often, um, your body can start to mount antibodies against the red blood cells from the baby because um, negative women don't recognise those as part of their body. Um, and so the problem can be with subsequent babies that they can have a very small risk of um, having issues with their red blood cells after they're born. Um, there's, I watched a really good um, video. There's a doula called Lani Raven who had a really great um, series about, she had a really good video about anti-D, which I watched since I had babies, which was really helpful. She's gone through all the research because it's very confusing, but that's the, that's the theory. Um, and it's kind of recommended at arbitrary points in pregnancy and then after birth if you do have a, a positive blood group baby. Yeah, that's what I had. Yeah. So I, I think I'm O negative and I had to, yeah, I had anti-D shots through yeah. pregnancy and then they did a, a blood test of, on, yeah. yeah, from the cord blood yeah. to check whether yeah. I needed another one, which I, yeah. which I did. But yeah, I think um, there is some, there is a few people who've done some research sort of proposing a bit yeah. of alternative to that Sarah. as well. So yeah, Sarah, Sarah yeah. Wickham, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Lani, Lani Raven, who's a doula, she, um, has kind of gone through that research and there's a few other big big research pieces that she's um, summarised. I found that video really helpful um, in going through it all. But, um, yeah, Gordy was a negative, a positive, sorry, so I had anti-D after his birth as well. Yeah, lovely. But I, I I'll put not a... question it in the hospital. I just did it. So. Yeah, sure. I'll put some links to those yeah. resources and yeah. um, a little bit of information about that. So if anybody else, yeah, if any women who are pregnant are listening and have a negative blood group, there's a bit more information there about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been helpful mm. for me. Yeah, <laughs> lovely. So how were yeah. you, yeah, how did you feel throughout that third pregnancy with Finlay? Yeah, I felt good again. I was a bit tighter because I had a toddler. He was born in summer again. So I was like, oh, another hot, you know, end of pregnancy. Um, but, yeah, I felt I felt good. I worked till I think 35 weeks, but I was only working two days. So it really just flew. <laughs> um, yeah, so I chose to have a private midwife, Um so one of the, we've got a couple down here, but I chose um, one of the private midwives here. And then I also, um, my good friend, Rachel Rose, who's a doula as well, um, she was our doula. Um, she probably would have been there anyway, but she was there in like a doula capacity. Um, and then we also had, so my midwife had a student midwife with her um, too. So I was happy for her there. Yeah, so I was, yeah, good. I still had a little bit of kind of pelvic pain towards the end. Um, but yeah, I, I was feeling feeling good. With your private midwife, what did that sort of care look like with her? Did she have a, um, a private practice or was she having appointments in your home? Yeah, she came to our home. So she came, yeah, just a standard schedule, but she came to our home and did the Doppler and measured, the, measured my stomach and all that stuff. And she really got to know Gordy too. So that was lovely, having an older child. Um, just, pardon, just getting, getting to know our family and yeah, um, so he would feel comfortable kind of with her. But, yeah, she was very, really um, supportive of my choices and was really like, you can do that if you want, but everything's up to you. You don't have to get any testing you don't want to. And that was really, yeah, really refreshing just to kind of be able to choose what I wanted to do. Um, 
And was there anything differently that you did in this pregnancy in terms of what tests or scans you had? Yeah, so I didn't, um, I had a 12-week scan, I think, out of a bit of anxiety um, from having a previous miscarriage. And then I had a 20-week scan, which I was happy to do just to confirm the placenta and just to confirm there was one baby and all that stuff. Um, and that was it. I didn't do any diabetes testing. I checked my own sugars for a week or so at home. Um, and I didn't do any GPS or anything like that. Um, I accepted one anti-D shot in pregnancy um, because I couldn't really find enough evidence for any of it, so I had one. Um, but, yeah, that was it, really. That was, yeah, not much. It was pretty straightforward. I didn't have a doula in yeah. my birth, so I was just a little bit curious about what sort of care she provided during pregnancy or was it mostly at the birth and postpartum? Look, she does usually provide a few prenatal visits, um, but because we're really good friends and our two eldest are the same age, we saw each other all the time anyway. So I don't think we had any like specific doula appointments, but um, it was helpful. Like she came to a few of my midwife appointments and just, um, yeah, another set of hands. And, and I'd spoken to her about what, you know, like if I did go to hospital, like looking after God, just kind of a few plant backup plans. Um, and because I didn't know how he would go having a baby at home, um, it's why I wanted to have more people to help look after him. Um, and then she also organised a mother blessing for me. So that was really beautiful. I had that at 38 weeks. Um, that was really lovely. But I wanted some postnatal care too. So that was kind of something that I, I wanted more as well, rather than pregnancy. Yeah, sure. Lovely. And so then with Finley's labour, how did how did that begin? Yeah, so it was pretty similar to Gordy's. I was 30, so I saw Louise at 39 weeks um, and we made a 40-week appointment and she said, oh, I think I'll see you before. Um, and it had been, it was the start of all the fires. We had a lot of fires down here. Um, so it was had been kind of smoky on and off and it was a lovely cool day. So I was 39 weeks in one day and my waters broke again at three or four a.m. when I got out of bed, so pretty similar. Um, and this time I was like, okay, I'm not going to get excited. It could be days. I'm just going to rest. So I didn't tell my husband again, came back into bed, managed to sleep kind of on and off till seven or eight, um, back to kind of normal wake-up time. Um, and then I told him and I told Louise, she actually had a clinic, a breastfeeding um, clinic, that morning so she said look I can cancel but just keep me in the loop if you don't think it's happening really quickly I'll, I'll, I'll do my appointments and you know I'll, I'll finish up if you need me um, so I yeah just kind of not I was having contractions but nothing too bad um, and then it was kind of dragging on it got to like lunchtime and I was like oh, okay I'd kind of like this to ramp up a little bit um, and I found Gordy really distracting at home he was Nearly three then, but just really distracting. So my husband took him out to, we've got like a children's museum, like play centre. So they went out there and um, they went there for a while and I closed all the blinds. It was really bright because it was summer. So I closed all the blinds and um, put like the candles on and started watching a funny movie. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, get some oxytocin going. I'm going to start feeling really like happy and go to labour. Um, I was bouncing on the exercise ball and, you know, doing all that and, um yeah, eventually, I think by 3 or 4 p.m., I was like, okay, yep, yep, this is, I'm in labour. Um, and then I, um, we'd already blown up the pool, but 
um, I was sitting over our toilet just kind of and then I was like, yep, okay, I'm having to like vocalise through contraction, so it's kind of ramping up. Um, and so I think at about 4.30 we told um, Louise, our midwife, and Rachel to make their way over. Um, everyone lives pretty close, so it wasn't that far. And then Sam started filling up the pool. Um, and it was quite hot, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll see how the pool goes, but I'm not a big water person. But I got in, it was really, um, really beautiful. I had a lot of posterior, like a lot of back pain with Finley. Um, so the water was really helpful for that. Um, so I was yeah, in there and then kind of everyone kind of came. I think then um, Louise had told our the second midwife, who is also a, a really good friend, um, to come. So I wanted her to be there kind of. She has a few midwives she works with, but I wanted um, that specific midwife to be there. And then um, the student midwife, Jen, came and she took some, she takes photos. She took some beautiful photos, so it was lovely to have them. Um, yeah, I was in the pool and kind of, um, yeah, just kind of starting to feel a bit. Yeah, I was hot and a bit floaty and didn't really, I think I just don't love water in birth, but I thought I'd try. Um, see, it was like five o'clock. I was in the pool and having like lots of back pain and Louise was pouring like water over my back and, um, yeah, just starting to feel a bit, yeah, probably a bit transition-y, I think. Um, and my mother-in-law had actually come to look after Gordy because um, he was very distracting, wanted to watch TV and it was too noisy. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I started started feeling like about 6 o'clock I started feeling really um, just over being in the pool and getting really, really uncomfortable. And I think looking back, Louise thought that I was probably pretty close to having the baby. Um, but then she said she realised that I hadn't had any, like, bloody show or anything. She said, okay, why don't you get out of a pool and just try a change of scenery? Um, so I sat I sat over the toilet in the bathroom, um, and at that point I was, like, in transition. So I was, you know, I don't even want to, you know, I was really, like, this is so intense, like, I can't do this. It was just, like, constant, kind of constant contractions, and um, I really had that kind of crisis of confidence, and I remember everyone was in our bathroom, kind of like sitting on the edge of the bath and, and you know, on the floor and Louise was holding my hand and, and um, Trudy, who is a second midwife, who's a, also a very dear friend, um, said, you're, you're already doing it. You don't have to do anything. Just, it's happening. Like, your baby's doing the work. It's okay. You don't have to do anything. And that was just, like, all the pain just disappeared. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I just, I don't have to do anything. The contractions are just happening for me. And I think I had that because that was the point I got to with Gordy where I, I didn't, I wasn't able to follow my instincts of what my body was telling me. So, yeah, I just was like went from, you know, I don't want to have a baby. I want, why do I women have epidurals? Like, and, you know, I was furious at all of them that they weren't in pain and they weren't, you know, experiencing this terrible thing. Um, and then, yeah, the pain just kind of disappeared. And then I was definitely like in transition then. Um, and I think I wanted to know when the baby was coming and I wanted um, my midwife to do like an internal and she said, why don't you just, she said, I don't think you do want an internal because what if I say you're one centimetre? I said, I'm not one centimetre. I just want to know. And so she said, why don't you feel? So I put my fingers like just inside and I could feel his head. Um, I was like, oh, my God, he's nearly here. Um, and so then they said, okay, yep, yep. So do you want to, the baby's nearly here. And I was starting to feel like I could kind of, push um, and so they said do you want to have the baby over the toilet 
no, no, I, I don't think so because I'd have to stand up and catch him. It would have been awkward. So I quickly kind of walked across into the bedroom, which is just across the hallway, and everyone had made like a little area with, you know, towels and pillows and everything. So I leant over our bed um, and I, I didn't really instinctively push. It was just I just let my body let him kind of travel down. Um, and then like 15 minutes after that he was born. So it was about three hours. Wow. Yeah. It must have been so intense happening yeah. that quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't expect it. So he was born at 7 o'clock at night, so I didn't expect it. It didn't feel quick. I didn't expect it to kind of, oh, it's not that late. It's still kind of almost daylight. Yeah. yeah. And was Gordy yeah. there for the birth too? Um, no, he was outside. Um, he was kind of coming in and out, but I think he was kind of at the door in the pushing like the final bit, but... Um, he wasn't very interested. So he was outside with his grandma just picking flowers and playing and he came yeah. in soon after. But yeah, it was um it was it was pretty quick and then Finley was a bit stunned when he was born because it had been really quick. Um so he took like a kind of minute or so to really kind of come round. Um but yeah, we just kept the cord connected um, while that kind of happened. It just rubbed him with a towel a bit and just made sure he had time to come around. Yeah, and I picked him up from the floor and, yeah, it was – so I saw he was a boy as I picked him up because we hadn't found out. But, yeah, it was it was beautiful. It was really beautiful. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. And did you feel like this time you were able to kind of just drop more into your own headspace a little bit rather yeah. than – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I just – because I was alone for most of the labour and I was – I was prepared to be, like I said, if it's too quick, I'm happy if no one's there. And Louise knew that, like, I was pretty happy to just, I was like, look, if it's too quick and no one comes, that's fine. Um, I'll just do it. Um, but, yeah, I was just able to, I just focused on, like, I visualised blowing the contractions away when they came. Um, and, yeah, just, like, moving. I did a lot of kind of, like, running man position, I think, because Finley was, um, he was a little bit bigger than Gordy, but still quite big. So I kind of instinctively, like, was making more space and doing lots of those positions. Um, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it made it, it just kind of happened. Mm. I just had to get out of the way and let the process happen. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, how did those next sort of few hours pan out or how was your placenta delivery? Um, my placenta was, it kind of just came out like 20 minutes. I didn't really think about it. I think um, I was kind of kneeling in that position for a little while and then pretty soon after it I kind of just kind of felt it and it just pushed a little bit and it came out. Um, but I had another um, bleed. So I had kind of more of a significant um, postpartum hemorrhage this time around. But um, I had spoken with Louise that I, I was happy to stay at home at pretty high threshold. Like I didn't want to transfer for things if they could be managed at home. Um, so she you know, she was happy with that. So I had, I agreed to have a, like a, a Sinto injection um, because I was bleeding quite a bit and I wanted to stay at home. Um, and so I had that and then I kept bleeding a bit. And so I ended up having some IV fluids, um, which was, I didn't know you could do that at home, but it was, it was good because I was able to just stay at home. So there's a funny photo of me, like with the IV fluids hanging off our curtain rail. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, yeah, I felt I felt pretty good. Like I felt much better than I think I was much weller. Um, so I felt pretty good, even though I'd had a bit of a bleed. Um, and then, yeah, we I had a I'd had a small tear, um, which I decided not to have stitched. 
Um, but our midwife just kind of looked at that tear and said, look, I think, I think it's fine just to leave. And then, yeah, we got into bed, had lots of skin to skin, Finley breastfed for like 45 minutes or an hour, had a huge breastfeed and then was just basically asleep. Um, he had some skin to skin with Sam and my uh, Rachel, our, our daughter, ordered us all Uber Eats pizza. We all ate pizza <laughs> and kind of Louise did the, the blood, looked at the placenta and all that stuff and we had pizza and Gordy came in and met him and then we were all in bed by like... 11 o'clock at night and everyone gradually went home and yeah it was it was really beautiful and then our midwife came you know the next morning and checked up on us over the next few days um mm, and then, so beautiful yeah, it, was, it was really beautiful when Rachel came around and what us food and our older kids played together and we kind of it was lovely having um someone there just to talk through the birth I think because you're so on another planet the times and what happened and who was there lovely to have that kind of just person over the next few days just to talk about the birth with. so that was really lovely mm. um, and just having that company I think you know I really craved a lot of female company um, and because my husband was mainly looking after our oldest like he wasn't really around as much in those early days after so yeah it was it was really beautiful and then we had a few family visiting not many we kind of kept it very low-key I did a basically didn't leave the house for six weeks. We did, we had the one visit to do the hearing test, but that was basically getting it for a few walks. But I really just stayed at home and, and rested. And I think that meant breastfeeding was no issues. Um, we just really beautifully like bonded and he's basically been on one of us since then, held mm -hmm. for like seven months. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. And did you choose to have him uh, Finley tested for his blood group and a second anti-D shot or what decision did you make around that? Yeah, so I was happy um, to have the cord blood or the blood taken from the placenta um, after it was born. So Louise did that and he had a negative blood group, so I didn't need it anyway. Oh, that's good. You didn't <laughs> yeah. end up having to make a decision. No, no, no. And I had a blood sample taken too. I think they can check if there's antibodies in my blood already and there was nothing so okay um yeah it wasn't an issue so maybe intuitively I knew that it wouldn't be an issue anyway um, yeah great but yeah it was just yeah we had really beautiful aftercare um yeah so Louise came around for uh, five or six weeks she kind of sat saw us um it was kind of more just a chat really like we were fine so we just caught up and <laughs> it was really lovely um mm. yeah really yeah it was really what, lovely. It was beautiful. What was it like introducing Gordy to his new little brother? Um, he wasn't too interested. He was curious. He's taken him six months to be able to be in the same room as Finley without um, attacking him. So oh no, he, yeah, he's not very. He's very um spirited. He's not very. He's not very interested in babies and dolls and all that kind of stuff. So he loves him now, but um, he just was like he'd been outside with grandma and he came back and there was a baby. So I think he was a bit like. Oh, okay. So there we go. And the baby kicked him out of his spot in the bed, and he was he was a bit he was a bit um, put out. But yeah, that was quite yeah. challenging. But it's a, it's a big it's, adjustment. Yeah, and they don't ever ask for it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. It was yeah, so beautiful to chat to you. Was do you think that Finley is your last baby, or would you consider having another birth? Look, I'm still working on my husband with that. I think I, I would, yeah, it depends what we do in the next few years in our lives. But I think, yeah, I would like to have to have one more. And I'm guessing it will definitely be a home birth. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. It was, yeah, it was, um, 
um, like we're both just like huge advocates now. We just rave about it because it was just so beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything that you would do differently for a future birth? Um, the only thing, and, you know, I not that there were too many people, but I think um, I've been talking this with a few friends about being observed and kind of the amount of people and, I mean, the student, she wasn't there to take photos, but just we have quite a small house. So the amount of, there were a lot of people. I think that was my only <laughs> kind of thing is there was like five plus like, and then me. So yeah, just kind of thinking what that would look like. And I mean, it's beautiful to have photos, but then that balance between the two. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the only thing, but um, at the time it was fine, but just looking back, I was like, there were a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. well, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for letting me share my story. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I am taking submissions again, so if you'd like to share your own birth story on the podcast, please send me an email at keepbirthwild at gmail.com. There's no criteria for being featured on the podcast, so even if your plans for a home birth change during pregnancy due to health concerns or other factors or you transferred to hospital during labour, I would still love to hear from you. Sharing a wide variety of experiences is so important, and I feel that it helps women to prepare for and accept a variety of outcomes. And if you'd like to see some photos from Zoe's birth, you can find those on my Instagram at keepbirthwild.podcast. If you have time to just scroll down on your podcast app and leave a quick star rating or a few words about what you're enjoying, that would be amazing. Thank you.